recorded live. On June the 26th, 2016, from Coolidge, Arizona, welcome aboard, folks. We're in for a ship ride today, Acts chapter 6. And the reason I bring that up is because if you ever are on the ocean and you're on the ocean long enough, uh, there will be storms. That's a part of the random activity of creation. We begin with verse 1, but before we get into the actual text, just a statement or two from last week, the emphasis we tried to... um, expressed last last Lord's Day was the oneness in purpose and mission of the disciples. And as they shared in the same purpose and mission of Christ, he says, you will be one with me as I am with the Father, all based on uh, their, their understanding of the purpose and mission, the purpose of God, the purpose of Christ, the purpose of the apostleship, as as the executors of Christ's will, and the mission that they were in carrying that out that the book of Acts is now covering for us. That's such a difficult thing, and yet it's the one thing that brings oneness. There has to be a unity of purpose and a unity of mission, even today. In the church, in the home, in anything that is moving towards some objective, there has to be, as the nucleus of that movement, a singleness of purpose and mission. So let each one of us make sure that we are in tune with the right purpose and with others who are sharing in the same purpose and carrying out our activity as our mission. Chapter 6, verse 1. And I still haven't got any tomatoes, so I guess that that wasn't very controversial. So in verse 1, we we begin with a problem. This is what happens on the sea of life. There come problems, and, and the Bible never avoids the problems, never avoids the fault, nor the sins of mankind. Now, if man was totally depraved, it wouldn't bother because you would just expect it. But they stand out because they're wrong and they're out of order, and so they do stand out. Man could have avoided that. He didn't, so the Bible records it just as it is. That's the real world, folks. And when you have expectations that are not real, you can expect them to be shattered. Chapter 6, verse 1, in those days. And I like like the fact that um, in the Greek, it is the word in. The New American Standard has has it some other way. But he's talking about a particular block of time. That's why he can use the preposition in. In this block of time, in the block of time in which we're discussing, Folks, now that's revealing, if you are thinking about it, that it doesn't apply possibly to every time, but he's talking about specifically a period of time uh, that is now history. 
in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, increasing in number, beyond adding, and now is considered as a multiplying factor, there became the awareness of an issue. We're going to learn how in this lesson today and, and from the, in the text. First of all, there is a problem, and the problem is now defined. It was one group of Jews against another part of Jews. And the one part of Jews were Hellenistic, which means what? Followers of Rome. They were Jews who were Hellenistic, meaning they 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 were they were incorporating the Greek culture, language, and that's why they were Hellenistic. The native Hebrews, they made quite a distinction that they didn't want did not want to incorporate the Greek culture into their thinking even though the Hellenistic Jews were still Jewish, but they were people who spoke the Greek language and therefore were labeled as Hellenist Jews. So there was a problem between these people, a distinction made, and this distinction was made on the basis of a cultural issue. I pause because I want you to think about it. And then he tells us what the problem was. He defines the problem. If you ever have a problem, the only way of resolving a problem is to define it. Get down and explain it. Work it out. Until you get down to the source and the root of the problem, there really is no answer. So here they, he defines for us all uh, something that was going on in those early days of the church, a conflict between two groups of people, that conflict being a cultural conflict. And it's because their widows were being neglected in the daily administration or in the serving of food. Actually, uh, um, I don't think the food is in the Greek text at all. I I think it's just, if I recall right, uh, in the service, uh, the daily uh, servicing of the widows of one group were put aside, were distinguished against, as opposed to another group, that were distinguished in favor of. Now, is that characteristically of humanity? Yeah, it is. So we're telling right up front here that there there are things that even the early church had to get a grip on. We have to get a grip in that on the Lord's church as well. The same thing, the same kind of things take place in the church today. Um, and you can see it after church. 
You always want to kind of observe, you know, where do people gravitate after church? Who do they gravitate with? Who are they concerned with? Oh, you do? Well, now that's all right. (laughs) I noticed I wasn't invited, but if I was, I wouldn't attend. I am careful with whom I've seen. (laughs) Okay, so so here we have the the widows, the, the accusation here, the problem is defined as the widows of the Hellenist Jews were neglected, overlooked that the concern for them was not as great as it ought to have been in relationship to how the widows of the Hebrew Jews were being treated. You think about that. Number two. Then, the 19... Oh, I'm getting some opposition there. I can hear that. I, I can feel even the sun violated, uh, vibrated on that one. So it's the who? Wow. All right. So the 12 are still in charge. Remember that they, they are the uh, administrative executors of Christ's will. They are the ones who tell us what it is that Jesus said and taught and practiced. We have to go through them to learn about Christ, we have to go through them. They are the ones. So the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them. So they had a group meeting. So you have a problem. The problem is now defined. We know what the problem is. The the twelve step up to the plate, called a group meeting, and said, now, we can't resolve this for you. I like that approach. And they tell us why. So there has to be, in any problem, there has to be a prioritization. You have to prioritize. If you don't do that, you don't know what to deal with first. So in their priority, they looked at what, who they were as apostles and as their mission as apostles, and one in that mission, it wasn't to take care of the widows. They're not saying that was wrong. They're saying it needs to be done, but that's not our job. Don't assume a responsibility that is not yours. Because it will take you away from your purpose, your mission. So we have to be careful in any job, secular or sacred. Prioritize, know what your mission is, and don't accept somebody else's responsibility. I stopped this morning at, uh, I, uh, at McDonald's this morning, and the gal serving, uh, waiting, uh, working the cash register, she spent more time concerned about what they were doing with the cars driving through than she was with us. She got totally disoriented because somehow she thought 
that she needed to know what everybody else was doing. As the cars drove through the window, you know, the pickup window, she got, every time a new car came up, she took her eyes off of the cash register and looked over there, and I, I was in line. There were about 15 people ahead of me. And so it just took forever and ever because she got involved in somebody else's responsibility. Now, I don't know what her role was, but you have to tend to your business. And as an elder, Greg's position is to keep this building immaculate, to keep the sidewalk swept, to keep all the repair. Isn't that the work of, a, of, a, of an elder? Wait the table. Yeah, to serve tables. Oh, yeah. I'm being a little bit sarcastic, Greg. (laughs) You hope so. I hope so. So, right off the bat, 12 step up to the plate, acknowledging the problem, not avoiding it, coming face to face with it, and it is not reason that we should leave the Word of God, that we should neglect our involvement with the Word of God, with our studies of the Word of God in order to serve table. Years ago, I used to get phone calls, right, when when I was in the midst of a study session. Somebody would ask, "I I need to talk to you. What are you doing? I'm studying. Oh, well, since you're not doing anything, that's how they view it, you know. And I mean not not just once. And I'm, you know, there was more discussion than that. But they're making it clear that their mission was what? The Word of God. That's their mission. And in order for them to take up the role and assume a responsibility To do something that they were not assigned to do breaks them from their mission. There's a great lesson there all through life. Understand your mission. Don't deviate from it. And don't assume the responsibility in your pursuit of that mission. Don't assume the responsibilities of other people. You maintain your own mission. So it's not a reasonable thing. It is not desirable for us to neglect the Word of God in order to serve tables. Now, is he saying, is he putting the idea of serving tables down? Oh, no. He's just saying that it interferes with what our mission is. And folks, as apostles, We are here in a limited time. We have got to get the Word of God complete and full. We have to understand it. We have to deliver it to you. We have to communicate it so that you can understand the ideas of the Scripture. We have to know the order of it. And any deviation from that is a distraction from our mission. We ought to be thankful today that the apostles stood up and said, no, that's not what we're going to do. They could have done it, and they would have done it superbly. But what they did was, next, is the next best thing of a successful business and a successful church. 
You delegate. You identify the problem. You prioritize how you fit into that problem. And then you delegate. Any business, any church that does not delegate stagnates. Oh, I like that. So now there is a plan. A plan emerges. Need a plan. Everybody needs a plan. You know, coming to the Lord's day on uh, coming to the Lord's house on the Lord's day with the Lord's people requires a plan. You begin working that plan on the Sabbath day. <coughs> on Saturday, you begin to prepare for your time with the Christian people wherein Christ dwells as a group. So you come rested, you come intellectually refreshed, and you come prepared to participate in the honoring of God as the creator of our universe. And that's one of the objectives of our coming together does. And of learning the Word of God more completely and the application of it into our lives. That takes preparation. That takes a plan. You don't wait till Sunday morning to begin to plan for the Sabbath day or to the worship service. Anybody ever known anybody who do that? Kind of a last kind of a last ditch effort is we gotta oh we gotta get the kids ready for church. Well where were you on Saturday? Well we were up too late. See, that's what I mean, no plan. You don't do that. You don't stay up late on Saturday night because what does that do on Sunday morning? Makes you groggy. That's that's shameful. I was waiting for a tomato, but it hasn't come yet. Oh, Mr. Groggy, no matter how much sleep we get, Dave. Oh, and sometimes you get too much. That may be too. But the, the point is, folks, that any time... That Christian people are involved in anything that relates to God, and that will be their whole life. There has to be a plan. And the plan is what allows you to become prepared in the right increments. So that you're not having to plan in 15 minutes what should have taken 12 hours, getting the kids' clothes laid out, getting them slowed down, so that they're ready for a good night of rest and know what to expect when they go to the assembly tomorrow so they can report on it during lunchtime. They should be able to report when you're home on what the meditation was about, what the sermon or lesson was about. They should be able to do that, but they don't do that without a plan. And that's our neglect as adults, as parents. No plan. No significant plan. No identifiable plan. So here we have a problem identified. Uh, The apostles step up to the plate, they prioritize, and then they delegate. And the plan, notice what it is in verse 3, wherefore, brethren, you select from among you 
Who's going to do the selecting? They are. The, the folks at large. The ones who had come and issued the complaint. I have actually been in church meetings where some folks were not invited because they, they would know how those folks would vote and they didn't want to attend, they didn't want to deal with their vote. You know, oftentimes the one person that votes against something is the person that ends up right. You should never avoid, if you're going to have a vote, don't neglect the one vote that might be right and that might be the one that made the difference. Of course, I don't believe in most times voting is immoral anyway. That's mob rule, right? Isn't that what voting means? Mob rule? Yeah. That's why we don't have much of that in the church. Therefore, brethren, you select from among you seven men. You do the selecting. You who have issued the complaint. And then he gives some qualifications. Select from among your own people seven men of good reputation. Full of life. you look in the Greek, there is no article before spirit. There's what? No. Just full, full or complete spirit. The word holy, if you have it in your text, is not there either. Just full of spirit. That means they were full of life. Of honest report, but full of life. Let me run by that again. Full of life. That's what the spirit is. The spirit is life. It's the, def- it's the definitive of living and of life. It is what tells everybody who you are. And they, they had enough of it that you could tell it by looking at them. So it was their spirit that gave to them life. And what's the next word? Not only were they to be of good reputation, full of life and of wisdom. So they had to have a record. They had to be up and running, full of spirit. And they had to have the ability to look at a problem from another person's point of view. That's what the word wisdom means. Full of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Wouldn't the wisdom come along for the ride on that? Oh, day? yeah. And so was the reputation. Another problem. If it were something that God had done directly 
there wouldn't be just seven. It'd be all of them. Because God is not a respecter of persons. They would have all had that. But they were to select. Yeah, I don't think they would have had to select. It would have been evident who these people were. That's right. So it was by the observe. People were able to observe something. Well, robots don't get hungry anyway, so, you know. Oh, that's a good point. Wouldn't even be worrying about food if they were walking around. That's why Tanya keeps threatening to get a robot robot instead of me. (laughs) It doesn't get hungry. (laughs) Good point. Now I understand. Okay, well, see, so much is read into this, it's not there, folks. Brethren, select from among you. You do the selecting from among you. These guys that stand out, that have a good reputation, full of life, full of breath, you know, they're not marginal guys. And, you know, he's not, de- he's not depicting here any certain kind of personality. Whatever your personality is, make sure that in that person's personality, they are alive and well. And they have an element of enthusiasm and of wisdom. Wisdom to us is, first of all, being able to understand what it is and how it is that God thinks. It's looking at, it's looking at life from God's perspective. Is this, is this congregation as a whole, both, both the natives and the uh, I think I think it's all, all of them together. You know, that's a good question, and I, and I don't know that I can prove that. Well, yeah, it doesn't say it's outside of the 12 uh, you know, called yeah. the congregation. Yeah. I don't know if that's all of them. I, I think it's just all of them, all both both groups. That would make sense with wisdom means and being, having the ability to see it from another uh, the, the other person's point of view. So I think so. Uh, if you ask me to argue it, I don't know that I could do that. But it just it doesn't tell us anything different um, that I can see anyhow. So the wisdom is is being able to see something from somebody else's point of view, whether it's God, whether it's your fellow man. How do you see that person? How do you view that person's situation? Wisdom is the ability to see something an issue from somebody else's point of view. Wisdom is the ability to see something from another person's point of view. And that includes how we see God. Wisdom toward God, we are to be wise toward the things of this world, but it's always putting, the underlying idea is always being able. Wisdom is what enables us to see things from another's point of view. Have you mastered that? We ought to probably just quit there because I don't think we've mastered it and we ought to go home and practice. But don't count on that. I'm not done. So we have a problem defined. We we have the apostles stepping up to the plate. They are prioritizing the issue. They are delegating a group to meet the need so that they can continue doing what it is 
that they were benefited to do on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And so they lay out a plan. Their plan is to select people who are capable and have not just the capability, but the spirit, the life, the energy, the emotional resources, who you can trust because of good reputation, whom we, whom we, now who's the we? You select You select, and what will we do? We'll put you, the apostles will put you in charge. We'll we'll put them in charge. We'll trust your selection. Why would they trust their selection? Because they were brethren of the brethren. They were there face-to-face with all of these people, with all of the congregation. The apostles can't know all of that. They don't know these people. They didn't even know them by their last name, let alone their first name, most of these folks. Too many thousands of them. But the people would know. Let them decide. Let them bring those people to the forefront. And then when you've done so, we will trust your choices and we will put them in charge. But when we do that, we notice in verse 4, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the world. We will devote ourselves to telling God what he can expect out of us and to the ministry, the actual performing of that, of the word. Ministry is the serving of the word. And what, what they're telling God they think they can do with their knowledge of the word as they are uh, obtaining it. And it is the word prosuke. And there are other words for prayer that are not prosuke, and they have a different emphasis. But this is the one where you are telling God what to expect out of you. People don't like that idea. They want to tell God what they can expect out of God. But this is telling God what he can expect out of you. I bet you that not many folks have ever done that. That sounds like ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. That's, I think that's where that thought process came from. That's probably right. Yeah. That was a particularly good saying because it puts people in the right place. Yeah. Selfishness is not a virtue. Kennedy had some things right. None. And that was that was his statement, his inaugural speech. Okay. So wherefore, brethren, select from among yourselves seven men of good reputation. Oh, I got I got this is this is just a real brief rabbit trail. I mean, this is going to be a brief one. We have many of our churches say we don't have elders.
Why don't you have elders? Well, we don't have anybody qualified. You know, they got 100, 200 people. Nobody qualified. Now, that's an excuse, and it's a real lame excuse. First of all, somebody is creating something, imposing something about the qualifications of an elder that's really not biblical because every, every qualification except one is applicable to every man in the church. Only one exception, and that's the little exception, apt to teach. Every one of the other qualifications is expected of every man in the church. So if you say that you have no one qualified, you're saying you haven't got any Christian man. Or they just, maybe there are some things that they haven't matured into yet, and that's understandable. But we've got to get out of this idea of imposing on the Word things that are not there and get back to what is there. And when he says, appoint elders in every city, he means that's what's to be done. And if you don't have men after a certain period of time that can qualify for that position and for that work, you've got a problem. And it isn't the eldership problem. It's you've got a problem with Christianity in the hearts and lives of those men. Because every qualification in Timothy and in Titus, every one of them is found otherwise in the New Testament, in the, gospel, in the epistles, that apply to every man in the church. And the only exception is being apt to teach. And most of our men are apt not to teach. And that isn't what that verse says. Apt to teach doesn't mean that at all. It means having some ability to communicate ideas. And most people can do that. They can carry on a conversation with you and express their ideas. So most people can meet that qualification. Most men can meet that qualification. They can express an idea. may not be the way you would express it, but that's not what it says. Everybody, God always allows you to function within the framework of your personality. He even allowed that of the prophets. They spoke their language, God's message in their language to those people, and the people could understand what it was those prophets said. So here we have, you look out from among only seven out of thousands. But we only need seven. Let's not overdo it. And I want to say something else. If this is an example, if this is an example for deaconship, and I'm not saying it is, but this is what is often referred to as a standard for appointing deacons. If that is the case, now remember what I said. I'm not saying that it is. But if it is, then every appointment of a deacon is for a specific task. And it's not a perpetual office to be held and to acquire authority in. You see that? You may not agree with it. You can be wrong if you choose. But here, this, this 
appointment here was for what mission? Taking care of the widows. When that widow, when that mission was accomplished and was no longer needed, they did not maintain an office. That was done. It was over. So I'm saying that if this text is used as an example of how to incorporate deacons into the local church, then we ought to incorporate the idea of the emphasis of what is made here, and that is that a deacon is assigned to a particular task and is meant uh, to fulfill just that task and has to meet the requirements of the requirements of the deacon in Timothy and Titus prior to their being released. And actually the word means to stir up the dust, that these people are wanting to do a particular task, haven't seen much dust stirring. We see a need, we see a need, we see a need, we're stirring up the dust, and, and Paul says, now hold on, guys, and Titus says, hold on, guys, get yourselves qualified, and if you're qualified, we will then release you to do what it is you're stomping your feet to do, we'll let you do it. But you have to be meet the qualification. We're a long ways from a New Testament church, wherever, wherever you go. So you select out men that we may appoint over this business. And I, I, I like uh, that, and, and, uh, uh, and we will... We will devote ourselves to what it is that we need to be doing. And verse 5, the statement found approval. With a small segment of the people who thought they could probably manipulate these seven men. Is that what it says? The statement found approval of the whole congregation. You see, there was a problem. The problem was well-defined. No one was timid about it. No one was arguing the fact of the case. It was stated. It was then defined as the problem. It was the apostles then who were in charge, prioritized it in, in relationship to their mission and purpose in life, they delegated, because it was outside of their mission, they delegated the responsibility to the congregation, and the congregation was to look and find people that met these simple qualifications, and the plan was that. The plan began with the selection of men. So they, they, uh, they, they chose, and it gives us the name. They chose who's first. They chose Stephen. Now he became, do you know who Stephen was? Yeah. As a deacon, he became the first martyr in, in the next chapter. So, yeah. So they chose Stephen, and he was a man... Full of faith. Whose faith? And a spirit. 
and his spirit was holy. But he... But, but yeah, but there's no article there. No, it just it's just these are two things that he possessed that he had control over. Folks, if he did not have control over these, then why did they bother having them selected? See? So full means complete over you know, just like a jar. It, it, it was full. Mature. So his faith was that his faith, he, he had a grasp of faith, and he, he was living, he was alive, full of life, full of faith and full of life. The word pneumatos literally just means breath. Isn't that your life? What happens when you quit breathing? Find out. Well, I hope that you can hold yours for a long time. I'll outhold yours. We'll see who drops. Full of faith and life. That's the source of life. Your spirit. Not a marginal guy in how he lived his life. There was enthusiasm in every step. And it was visible. So here was the first guy with Stephen. He ended up getting stoned in a few more verses down the way here. And then there was another man, and Philip. We're going to find out, we're going to find out more about Philip later on as well. Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, the proselyte from Antioch, which would tell us, Alex, that it probably included all groups, the two groups, the whole congregation, not segregated, but they had some selected that were um, a part of both groups as well, apparently. I don't know if you can prove that, but it it appears that way to me. In verse 6, so they they brought these seven before the apostles. Now, I don't know how they did that. It would be interesting for me to know just how all of these people got it narrowed down to seven. But there were seven people that, out, that were outstanding. That doesn't mean that there weren't other people that were good, wholesome people. But these seven dudes were outstanding. They got the recognition. So they brought them before whom? Before the apostles. So, folks, we've got to keep all of this in mind with, with the executors of Jesus' will. They brought them before the apostles. Before the apostles. And after praying, they laid, after telling God what they can expect out of these guys, how they are to perform their duties. It's the analysis of what it is they are doing and what God can expect being accomplished by these men 
as they go about doing it after they lay their hands on them. They laid their hands on them to distinguish them from the others, people who were not chosen. It was to set them apart, to make them unique in what? In the function to which they were being appointed. It was their visual visual appointment, their visual evidence that they were appointed by the apostles to carry out this function. Now, verse 7. Oh, we got to quit, folks. I had no idea. Did we start late today? We started right on time, and our time is gone. Folks, Oh, I gotta be proud. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're cranking right along, and I, I was nowhere near ready to quit. But, folks, we want to thank you so much for being tuned in today. Uh, we have a long ways to go. I mean, a lot to cover here in this chapter, and a lot of basic stuff. Really, about, about as basic as you can get, and we get the examples of it right here uh, early in the formation of the Lord's Church. Thank you for being with us today, and let's pray. Father, we learn of these things with the intent of grasping the principle and of applying it to how we think and how we work within the framework of the church. May we live with the intent of expanding the church and of keeping the church as we, as our part of it, in tune and in alignment with your apostolic will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.